Welcome back to Fish Bites, new episode brought to you here on the Fish Stripes podcast. Thank you, as always, for consuming our unique brand of Miami Marlins coverage. I am Eli Sussman, managing editor of Fish Stripes. Engage with our community around the clock throughout the entire year on fishstripes.com, at Fish Stripes on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and by subscribing to the pod. So make sure you get all our latest episodes here. This week, it was my pleasure to chat with Kelly Sacco of Fox Sports Florida. You know who I'm talking about, right? Maradini, it doesn't seem to matter how many times this team gets down, they fight back. How does a game like this define the resiliency of this ball club? It's, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing how this group of young kids are preparing every day. I know, like, it's difficult for us. Uh, you know, we should, like, just looking for better results, but, like, Having a crowd like this, it just you know, put us in a different perspective. And every single guy was pumped up. And, and thank you for coming in and watching this awesome game. You're playing a really good team. And just be able to come through for my teammates and for the whole city of Miami, it's, it's awesome. She's an energetic, clever, and flat-out talented reporter on Marlins Broadcast and Special Projects with the network. Can't wait for everybody to listen to that interview about her career and her upbringing and so much more. That's coming up for you very shortly. First order of business, congratulations to the Washington Nationals 2019 World Series champions. They triumphed over the Houston Astros in Wednesday's winner-take-all Game 7, a wild fall classic overall. Uh, Every game in the series won by the road team. First time all year in any context that the Astros lost four straight home games, including, of course, the final Game 7 on Wednesday. 3-2. Here it is! The Washington Nationals are world champions for the first time in franchise history. I guess if you would rewind all the way to the beginning of the year and you had said that those two teams would be the final two standing in each league, it shouldn't have struck people as a big surprise. Just speaking for myself personally, I thought the Nationals were the best team in the NL East division coming into the year. And they got off to that horrific start. The one turning point, inflection point that everybody is looking back to now that they're on top of the world is when they had started 19-31. and 31. 19 and 31, one of the worst records in the majors, and entered a series against the Marlins when the Marlins were in a similar situation. And that looked like an opportunity for everything to really fall apart for the Nats. It didn't. That's, that was the time when they really began to crawl out of that big hole. And from that point onward, they were the most consistent team in the National League over the final, what, four plus months of the regular season. They got in as a wild card. And so many times along the way, I think, I believe the stat is they had five separate elimination games where they were trailing at some point, including the final two World Series games. But even in the wild card, the division series against the Dodgers, this was a very resilient team at the biggest opportunities. Everybody remembers how a year ago they weren't able to re-sign Bryce Harper. And there was, I guess, the popular assumption that 
they would take a step backwards because of that. But they did return their two best hitters from 2018, being Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto. Both of those guys were tremendous in 2019 and so clutch in the postseason. Uh, the MVP award for the World Series actually goes to Steven Strasburg, who is the all-time winner, the all-time leader in wins against the Marlins during the regular season. He's obviously had a good career, but uh, seen as somewhat of an underwhelming career compared to the expectations as he used to be not only the best pitching prospect in baseball, but one of the most coveted pitching prospects ever. And even now in his 30s, with his stuff a little bit reduced, but his uh, approach for opposing hitters has never been more cerebral. And he had a great coming out party as if he needed one. But during this postseason, he firmly established himself as an ace as he prepares to head into free agency. There are some direct Marlins connections with the Nats who are going to take part in this celebration to some extent. On the player side, Anibal Sanchez, longtime Marlin, who has bounced around the past few years between between different teams, but, but signed with the Nats in free agency entering this year. And he was in the back end of the rotation throughout most of the season, had a couple huge starts in the postseason as well, including one in the World Series. I believe that was a game that they lost, the Nats lost at home during the middle of the series. Um, But just so happy for him, of course, being on so many non-playoff teams with the Marlins, then going to the Tigers and getting a taste of October, but never really breaking through. He quietly has had a really great postseason career himself, not quite on the same level as Strasburg, but it couldn't happen to a better guy to be involved with this championship. On a very different note, Fernando Rodney, the ageless one, uh, I believe the oldest active player in the majors at the moment, briefly a Marlin in 2016, one of the few relievers that saw some action for the Nats. They had a very thin pitching staff throughout October, relying mostly on their workhorses in the rotation. Rodney did pitch a little bit in the World Series and not very successfully. Didn't appear in the Game 7 clincher, but he was along for the ride, joined the Nats um, early in the season, I believe in June. And in all seriousness, we could say what we want about his inconsistency as a pitcher, but he's been universally admired as a teammate. So I'm sure there are a lot of people in that clubhouse that are happy for him. Not on the roster for the Nats at the end of the year was Kyle Bearclaw, old friend Kyle Bearclaw, who was a Marlins reliever for a number of years. Of course, last year got off to that great start before fading down the stretch. And it was almost exactly one year ago that he was traded from the Marlins to the Nationals for international bonus slot money in order to secure the signing of the Mesa brothers in international free agency. So at that moment, his stock was down. And somehow it dropped even further during the season. He got off to a terrible start this year, posted a 6.66 ERA, put up a 1.75 whip in his 33 relief appearances for the Nats at the beginning of the year. So almost entirely that overlapped with that terrible start for the Nationals team. In fact, it was just as they were beginning to turn things around that they cut bait with him. He had an injury, spent some, then got optioned to double A for a few weeks and they just didn't have room for him in the bullpen towards the middle of the year, which is saying a lot considering how precarious their bullpen situation was throughout the entire year. He ended up in the Giants organization. Uh, He's expected to be non-tendered and head into free agency. It's, It's very awkward for him, but then again, there are players in this position every single year for every single team. There are always are going to be, unfortunately, guys that, um, 
didn't perform their best, but nonetheless took the field for a team that went on to win the World Series. Uh, he's no lock to get a major league contract this offseason or playing the majors, so I'm not sure exactly what the process will be for getting him his World Series ring. Just thought I'd mention him because he is going to get one, I imagine, for being part of this Nationals team in some way, even if he didn't directly help them win games, being involved should be acknowledged. And finally, off the field, Jack McKeon, who turns 89 years old in November, is also part of the celebration. It's his first year as an advisor to the general manager with the Nationals. It comes 16 years after he took over the 03 Marlins in the middle of the season. So less direct involvement than he had back then. But even at that point, you know, he was considered to be uh, one of the older people in the entire industry. I had somebody ask me whether he's now in 2019 one of the oldest people to ever win a World Series, more or less, to be employed by a World Series team. And uh, I'm not exactly sure how to research that question. What I'll point out is that Ted Lerner, who was the owner that took over the Nationals when they moved from Montreal, he is 94 years old. Technically, he retired as the principal owner of the Nats a year ago, so that's some awkward timing for him. His son, Mark Lerner, instead ascended to that principal ownership role. But if you looked at the ceremony just a few minutes after clinching Game 7, Ted Lerner, that was the first guy to speak um, on the Fox broadcast in that post-game celebration, which means he is, even if not directly involved, he is certainly part of the team as well. So that's my my answer is that Ted Lerner actually has McKean beat by about five years in the age department. Just a, a really diverse group, obviously, winning this because from that end of the spectrum, you go back to Juan Soto, who everyone in the world knows is now 21 years old because that was mentioned ad nauseum throughout this World Series. And this is where we'll look at the implications for the Marlins moving forward from this World Series. When you have someone like Juan Soto only in his second major league season and his first full, full season emerge as a total superstar, one of the best hitters in baseball at any age group, and of course being so young, all aging curve data that we have suggests that he's only going to get better from here. He has such great play discipline and power. Uh, even in this Game 7, he made a couple interesting defensive plays that ended up securing the win for the Nationals throughout the game, uh, although that's not that's probably the weakest aspect of his game overall. He's in the middle of everything. The Nationals do have a couple key free agents in Rendon and Strasburg. Both of them are going to get paid probably as much as anybody at their position this coming offseason, at least on a annual salary level. Uh, maybe not in terms of a long-term deal, but certainly um, at this very moment, two of the very best players in baseball um, period. So they're going to be well compensated. The Nationals, despite not resigning Harper, had one of the larger payrolls in all of baseball this year. To bring back both Rendon and Strasburg, they're going to be venturing into the luxury tax, which is something that they've considered doing before. I, I believe they may have done it at least one year, gone above that luxury tax threshold, pay a tax, and even flirt with stiffer violations. So that's going to be a very key test, is that now that they've climbed the mountain and achieved this goal, the first team in Washington, D.C. to win a, to appear in a World Series, what, since 1930-something? And, of course, the first time in this current iteration of the franchise to do it. Now that they've accomplished this goal, how driven will ownership be to continue spending at that super high level? That You wait to see it. 
Uh, but they do have a few key core players coming back, some veterans that are on long-term contracts like Scherzer, like Patrick Corbin, so they'll be back. The The bullpen is still a mess, and surely they'll have to find creative ways to address that aside from just the internal things. A team in a very interesting place. I, have, I haven't looked at the odds yet, but I'd be pretty um, sure that they're not the favorite going into next year. In fact, I imagine the Astros have better pro, like preliminary odds of winning in 2020. The Astros do not have quite as many critical free agents to bring back, uh, Garrett Cole being the most prominent one. Uh, aside from that, though, in both the lineup and the rotation and the bullpen, they are set up pretty well. And, of course, they always have seemingly endless waves of young talent that improve within their player development system. The Astros are in a pretty good place in that aspect. But uh, I'm going to close out this segment by just pointing out that the Astros at least entering this World Series not more than a couple weeks ago were held up as the gold standard of baseball organizations for their player development system, uh, the camaraderie that their players seem to have with one another, and just the consistent domination that they've had, at least during the regular season. They obviously suffered through the uh, such an extreme rebuild, uh, even more extreme than the one that the Marlins went through. Uh, piling up those losses three years in a row, well over 100 losses each year, and now three straight years winning over 100 games. If you look at run differential, base runs, those kind of um, indicators that go beyond win-loss record, the Astros over these past three years have been the best overall team in baseball. This is exactly what they intended to do when they tanked. This was what all that hardship was for, to get them in this position year after year after year, and they have one World Series to show for it, a World Series that has seemingly revitalized that fan base and enabled them to be a high payroll team and profitable in that area with individual players that have transcended just the fan base and have seemed to attract interest far beyond that internationally. They're seemingly in such a great place, and yet just that one time that they've been able to finish the job because there is so much randomness randomness in the MLB postseason. The Nationals, as I described, are a great indicator that how close they came on a handful of occasion on a handful of occasions to being knocked out in the earlier rounds. And of course, facing elimination against the Astros on the road in two consecutive games. It's such a crapshoot. And no matter what you do on the team building level, um on the psychological level with preparing your players, it's there's a certain amount of randomness that you can't control for. And the differences between these teams in terms of talent level, even if that difference is tangible, even if you know you're the better team, it's not as easy as getting the job done. That's just something I bring up as setting realistic expectations for what the Marlins are going to be moving forward. If they execute the remainder of this rebuild perfectly um, if they really want to follow this Astros pattern. Uh, it doesn't guarantee that they're going to be a, like a dynasty, per se. They could be the best team in the sport year after year, and they could put the franchise, obviously, in a better place than it's ever been in terms of being a sustainable contender. But there are other teams that are similarly smart and prepare their players and the margins are close enough that when you get in these series that are just such a tiny fraction of what happens during the regular season, you're not assured of making it through. 
And in fact, more times than not, it's going to be one of the other teams that beat you to it and climbs the mountain instead. Okay, interview time. Kelly Sacco of Fox Sports Florida called in to discuss Halloween, softball, being bilingual, breaking barriers, the Arizona Fall League, and more. Enjoy. I can tell that many of you are fed up with hearing my voice all alone here on Fish Bites. To shake things up, I've landed a special guest. Kelly Sacco is a reporter, host, and producer. You know her best for covering the Miami Marlins on Fox Sports Florida over the past several seasons. Proud alum of the Newhouse School at Syracuse University, nominated for two Suncoast Regional Emmy Awards. Before she emerges as an international sensation in this business, I wanted to get her on to know her a little bit better. So let's do that right now. Hi, Kelly. Oh, gosh. Hello. How are you? (laughs) I'm completely flattered. And thank God you can't see us right now because my face beat red and I blame you. But hello, Eli. (laughs) How are you doing? (laughs) Uh, I have a bunch of serious questions for you, Kelly, but I wanted to begin on a very different note. This episode is publishing on Halloween, which is by far my favorite holiday. And Me too. I was wondering what is the best or the most creative Halloween costume that you've had over the years? Okay. I love Halloween. If you were, I'm pacing in my apartment right now. Fun fact, I pace when I talk. So if you were to walk into my apartment right now, it is decked out in Halloween decorations. I've got at least four pumpkins sitting in front of me. It's my favorite holiday. I'm actually absolutely obsessed and uh over the past couple years i've gotten into special effects makeup so almost every day (laughs) over the past couple weeks i've been doing some like special effects type makeup so i would have to say last year i did a fun kind of melting skull on my face that was a lot of fun um oh just having to pick on the spot is hard because i've had so many halloween costumes but a lot of fun special effects stuff I've worked on. Melting skulls, little zipper faces, lots of glitter involved. I even did one with like a softball as if like a, a actually a baseball, a baseball hit me in the face. So I think, I think those would kind of be my top ones right now. Yeah, well, that's a good transition for us <laughs> talking about softball because for those that don't you know, go. you were a very legit <laughs> softball player throughout high school in Miami as a first baseman and a pitcher. And then you went on to Syracuse playing Division One. Uh, so competing like at that kind of level gives you a different perspective than most other journalists have. You know, those of us that are always on the couch all the time. Uh, can you tell <laughs> us? Can you tell us when you were introduced to softball and when you began getting really serious about it? Um, well, let's see. I've, I've been playing softball or t-ball or some form of that sport since as long as I could really remember. My mom says I got introduced to it when our neighbor came up to her and asked, you know, said, Hey, you know, I'm putting my daughter Caitlin in T ball. Why don't you put Kelly in there with us as well? And there's pretty much history from there. I've played pretty much every sport under the sun. So I was a kid. Um, I actually coach softball as well on the side. I do some uh, pitching lessons and I always encourage 
all of the girls that I coach and I tell all the parents, just put them in everything, give them breaks. And that's what my mother did. My mother was an Olympic swimmer. So I was a swimmer for a long time too. Did absolutely every sport. And um, I mean, you name it, I've played it. And softball was always the one that stuck. And I think the reason was because I loved the team aspect about it. And I just loved working together as a team. I found it and I still find it absolutely incredible what people can do when they work together and they work together towards that one goal and no individual accomplishment in any other sport. I was a black belt in Taekwondo. I was a competitive swimmer, even did synchronized swimming. I'm going to admit that one. Um, No accomplishment in any individual sport ever amounted to any team championship to me. I didn't care if I did something individually and won something obviously I was proud and I was happy of my accomplishment but it meant so much more when you did it as a team and you're able to look back years which I still do with one of my high school catchers who played at Villanova was like the best in the state she was so talented Amanda Marquez we still every now and again text each other and be like hey remember that championship game remember when you made those great calls remember when you did this remember when you did that and that's what I think I really loved most about it and having that perspective of not just understanding the game, but understanding the team chemistry and those factors that you don't really think about other than stats, right? If there's so much more to sports and winning championship and winning games to just having the best players. And I think that's what, that's the perspective that I have taken away um, from playing at the levels that I have played that I think have really helped me in my broadcast career thus far. Right. And yeah, that's what I was going to get to. You you must be looking at my notes because this is fully <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. Um, yeah, there are um, differences between softball and baseball. Obviously, the ball itself, uh, the size of it, the feel of it, how you have to pitch it, those mechanics, the field dimensions, the strategy. There's a bunch of differences enough so that they are really two entirely different sports. But there are those common threads, obviously, with the endings that are set up and the general goals of the game. Um, I mean, it's so much so connected that you see someone at ESPN like Jessica Mendoza, one of the better softball players ever. And she, just based on her softball experience, she is now commentating the most high profile regular season games for ESPN as an analyst. She has an advisory role with the New York Mets and helping them put together their team. So it seems that in baseball teams and, and even baseball fans, network executives, they understand that your experiences in softball do they give you a lot of insight into what baseball players are thinking and into how baseball works in, in the fact that you can become an expert of some sort, even though it is somewhat of a different sport. And may, maybe you didn't set out, in, you know, to be working on Marlins games in particular or to be focused solely on baseball as a journalist, but like in this position, I'm wondering what sort of yeah insight you think you get from your softball career. Has I mean, you've already mentioned that one aspect of it being part of a team and how all the different players are in- interconnected and how they're trying to achieve these goals. Yeah, but in what ways generally do you see that your softball career has made you a better baseball reporter and an analyst? Uh, definitely, just kind of understanding the shoes that the guys are in. Again, just the reason why people like Jessica Mendoza are so successful. One of the many, many reasons I used to watch her as a kid when she was in the Olympics um, is because, yes, she does have a unique perspective compared to others who may not have 
been in her shoes and played at that level and played that sport in the understanding. However, she was always also very respectful of the fact that, yeah, softball is a different sport and we don't understand everything because we didn't play baseball. So, and we didn't play at the major league level. So the, having that kind of respect towards it, I think, gives her the respect and people and me, for instance, the respect in return, like, hey, listen, I played a version of the sport, so I'm able to understand it to an extent, but always respectful to the fact that, hey, <laughs> I was not a major league baseball player. I do not know what certain things feel like, but I have an idea. So that being said, I think that from knowing how the players feel to an extent is part of it. Um, being on the field and having to make certain types of plays and going through those same practice types of practices and just the mental grind of it. So just a lot of being in their shoes at a different level. I think it's really helped because something that I personally don't think is talked about enough is the mental aspect to this sport is insane. No, I mean, it's a, a sport of failure, very much as softball is. There, That's where the, one of the big similarities between it. And you can really just be just, you know, completely ruin your career from the mental aspect of it. So I think that that understanding really helps going through those slumps and a long season and the grind. That helps. Um, obviously, the way the game is played and the mechanical side of it, just being able to understand it because you've kind of done it to an extent plays in the outfield knowing things along the sides of I had done a piece with John Birdie when he moved from the infield to the outfield and he was filling in at one point wherever in the outfield and we we're talking about like just how you get prepared for a game and knowing those things like hey okay different warning tracks play a different way different walls different ballparks play a different way and this this and that and being able to have that conversation because those are the ways I would prepare when I went out there or vice versa. So I think those would have to be the main ways that I was able to take my experiences and relate to the guys that I'm reporting on. Uh, Kelly, I think we're with Kelly Sacco of Fox Sports Florida here on Fish Bites. And one particular thing um, that uh, I noticed about you on a broadcast, I guess it was right in the middle of the early in the year, the first time I noticed, is that you understand Spanish and you speak Spanish and um, I was, that's so important in covering Major League Baseball today where every single team has like multiple Hispanic players. And I think my first assumption is that you may have been a native Spanish speaker, um, but upon further research, <laughs> I don't think that's accurate, right? You, you learned it in school? No, actually, I, I was a native uh, oh, Spanish speaker, I guess. I don't know what you could necessarily uh, put that as, but my mother is from Venezuela. I was, okay. born and raised, um, I was born and raised in Venezuela, so I learned it at home. Uh, my father's American, was born and raised in Miami. And so I pretty much learned it growing up in the household, speaking with my mother and speaking with my grandparents. And that side of the family is pretty much how I learned it. But I did get a minor in Spanish at Syracuse. So I'm sure that's what your research took you. That must have <laughs> been, yeah. Perfected in a you know, more educational standpoint. So, yeah. Well. Even if you didn't um, set out to do it in particular, I mean, that, that must just be enormously useful in covering this team and, well, particularly this team, but really anything going on with Major League Baseball where um, we already went through how playing experience in softball 
gives you some insight into what these players are experiencing. But of course, just being able to speak with them like very directly in the language that they're most comfortable in um, and being able to remove that barrier of a translator and some of the things that may get lost in translation. Um, and I imagine that players that they can trust you a little bit more closely than someone that has that language barrier in place. That that seems to be just a really important aspect of covering a team, just even just being around the team um, in private moments, being able to, yeah, understand exactly what they're trying to say and what's going on in their minds. Um, and that's, again, that's another thing where it just feels like most other reporters in your position uh, for the time being don't have quite that skill in their skill set to be able to really connect with these players and earn their trust. Oh, absolutely. I, I giggle whenever I think about it. Cause I remember my mother and I would give her a hard time about speaking Spanish and she would be like, you're going to thank me later. And you're going to be wish you did this later. And it just makes me giggle. So like, thanks, mom. Uh, but uh, also makes me want to say to all the kids out there, learn Spanish, learn another language. It's, it's as a kid, I used to kick and scream about speaking it. Glad I was forced to wish I did it more. Wish I listened a little bit more. But yes, I definitely think it has been a skill set that has helped me along. Um, never set out to do this career in general. So it was just nice that um, my mother and um, father even really encouraged the knowledge of that second language and, and, and learning that second language. And I do think this in any circumstance that you're just going to be most comfortable in your native language. And I really do feel and hope that the guys that I speak to feel comfortable talking to me, even if I don't speak it perfectly. And there are a lot of things in the baseball world, which feel like I'm learning baseball Spanish is a little different because right. or you know, yeah, there's just like words and there's phrases that we use in English and baseball that don't translate or said differently or depending on the different country you're from, it's said differently as well. And you know, my mom's from Venezuela, so it's said one way and then said in a different way in the DR and et cetera, et cetera. But yes, it's absolutely it's been very useful. I'm very grateful to my family. <laughs> for making sure I learned that second language. And quite frankly, I'm still trying to perfect that language, but it's been, it's been very great. And it's allowed me to get to know some just incredible baseball players from different parts of the world. So it's been great. It's been great. I encourage everyone to try to learn that second language. The Marlins fans that are listening to us right now, they're pretty familiar with the rest of Fox sports, Florida's on air talent, Paul Severino and Todd Hollinsworth, Jessica Blaylock. Craig Minervini, Tommy Hutton, G Gabby Sanchez, and on and on. But it's not like they have a magic button that automatically starts the broadcast or summons up the graphics or rolls the B-roll or changes the cameras. Like They're not the only ones involved with putting together broadcasts, whether mm -hmm. it's in the studio or at the games. So there are a lot of people responsible for that, as someone something I know from studying broadcasting as well. Uh, can you shout out just a few of these behind-the-scenes people at the network that make your life easier, who you work closely with, and um, just give us a better understanding of the roles that they play in making what we see on the TV possible in the first place? Well, how long do you got? Because I can go <laughs> on all day for the behind the scenes. I started behind the scenes, and I think it's very important for people to do that. I, I was very happy with the path that I took, which was my very first job outside of college as a production assistant with Fox. And I used to carry wires 
for the camera guys as a utility person at heat games, literally chase the camera guys holding wires (laughs) at the heat games. And then during baseball season, I used to hold lights, hold camera gear, white sweat off Preston Wilson's face because it was, it was always way too shiny. Whenever we were doing stuff, I'm like, stand still. And <laughs> we were trying to do that. You got sweat here. Trying to make everyone look good. But um, it's true. It's absolutely true. What they say is cliche as it is. It, it takes a village. It is a team. And that's another reason why I very, very much loved being part of broadcast and being part of something that's a team. And of those people, there's so many people. I don't, I don't even know where to start. I will start with even people at the office. So we've got people who are on set. We've got people at the office. Christopher Pyatt has been one. Um, he He's someone who deals with pretty much, it's kind of hard to describe what he does, but he deals with like kind of all the footage that's coming in and out and really helped me really early on in my career was I think one of the first, if not the first person I met at Fox. And we've been working together for nearly seven years now, whenever I'm in the studio, when I was doing my digital work and the Fox Sports Minute. So he has just been absolutely incredible. Mike Plant, who's my camera guy, helps me produce. He was someone who, when I was an assistant, he used to be shooting the kids show called Billy's Bunch that I was a production assistant on. And he used to show up early and stay late to help me do practice stand-ups. And he used to talk me through it, try it again this way, do this. And he's had his own experience on air and, and um, just producing and doing everything and he's just always positive and always happy and just he's my camera guy to this day on our shows with um marlin's clubhouse and many other shows that we do inside the marlin's and prospect spotlight so just having him around and he was someone who supported me when i was behind the scenes 22 years old just trying to get a reel together so those are a couple people john solcer um is one of the producers the main producer for our marlin's broadcast and he he's something i love full third he's someone again i met very early on in my career um the producer and he pushes me and encourages me and just wants me to be the best i can be and really wants me to learn so i really appreciate that and i really appreciate everyone's like just help and support and again i could go on all day with people the camera guys are amazing having that great relationship they really care there's so many of them they really care of this Hey, let's make you look good. Let's sit here. Let's light you like this. And, and just all those little things. It's just been, it's been great. So again, we can do a whole another podcast. It's me talking about everyone behind the scenes. Right. And I'm sorry already for not naming everybody <laughs> here all day. Yeah. Well, I don't think the fans understand how good they have it just in particular with the cameramen, because that's something where when I'm in charge of our fish stripe social media accounts and I'm trying to grab certain plays or certain reaction shots and turn them into gifts, the cameramen and that in the production that you guys do during the games itself to capture all these great angles of exactly what happens and the reaction that everybody had, it's something that even compared to other major league baseball broadcasts, it's like, it's at the absolute highest level of execution. I can't get over like how well, they do that as someone yeah. that grew up uh, watching a lot of Yankees games where you think, oh, the Yankees have all the best people employed in their game broadcast. And what Fox does in, for Marlins games just like blows them out of the water with how these are, those are the little things that, yeah, I mean, that doesn't even cover half of what you mentioned in terms of the people that actually help you get work done and all that and guide you and support you. But it's, it really is impressive oh, that they put together. Yeah. 
Yeah, and those those cameras are heavy and they are hard to move. Right. We had our kid reporter on um, Marlins Clubhouse, which also shout out to Dave Cobert, who's one of our producers from Marlins Clubhouse, is incredible. Again, we always say teamwork makes the dream work. Dennis, one of our camera guys, that show, we all work very well as a team. But on that show in particular, we had our kid reporter go on there and do a behind the scenes day. And she was trying to shoot with the camera. And she's like, man, this is really difficult. Like, yeah, it is. So uh, absolutely. And just they do such a great job and they care. And it just, again, just shout out all very enjoyable people to be around too. And I think that's, that's huge. All the way from when you were a production assistant uh, earlier this season in September, you became a pioneer for the Marlins, at least, becoming the first woman to ever call an entire Marlins radio broadcast. You did that with Glenn Geffner for a couple games at Marlins Park. And uh, that was pretty amazing. As someone that was listening to that, it was really impressive to hear you step into that role. It was a lot different than uh, reporting from the dugout or probably anything you had done with the Marlins previously. I'm just curious how that was set up in the first place to be in that position, if you were aware that what you were doing uh, was in in some ways historic for the team that had not had a woman in that position over 27 seasons. Um, How did that come to be, and what did you think of that experience? Oh, well, the experience is incredible. Um, just to come right off the bat and say that it was absolutely incredible. I very much enjoyed it. Just the people there are wonderful. I love the guys in the radio booth, Dave, Glenn, Kyle Seeloff, who does not get enough credit. He pretty much runs the entire broadcast along with filling in play by play. And he's the reason why I got into that to begin with, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, all those guys are just incredibly supportive and amazing. And I always pop into the radio booth because I just love spending time with those guys. So the experience was great. Um, very thankful that the Marlins allowed me to do that and to step in and trust in me to do so. Um, the historic part, I honestly really, it, yeah, I, I kind of thought, okay, this probably is, but I try to put it, push it off to the side for so many reasons. One, I didn't want it to make me more nervous. <laughs> um, two, even though I've got that on-camera job and that, you know, kind of spotlight type of job, I don't, I kind of shy away from the attention. It makes me a little nervous. So I didn't really want to think about it. Um, And then three, I just think that just women in this industry have come so far to begin with that it just really didn't feel like anything of significance. And I'm like, you know, just because I'm a woman doesn't mean like there's any reason like this should be any other, you know, any more special. I'm just another human in my eyes, just and in the booth like a lot of our guys did that year so i'm like you know what I'm like it didn't really just strike me as anything historic in my mind i'm just like no i'm just another person filling in this year and i'm just very thankful for the opportunity so yeah and how it came about well i just got a phone call from marlins um oof, it must have been in maybe february or march i really don't remember the exact time um and asking if i had any interest in filling in for a couple games during the season I said yes and uh, that's pretty much how it came about yeah well that legitimizes it a bit that it was set up before the season like I thought in mm-hmm. my mind oh maybe she was the backup 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 in a, an emergency <laughs> situation and they needed somebody on the air and they just grabbed whoever was there but to, to see that, that they really sought you out right no, I mean knowing that there'd be like a little gap in the schedule but like so, really yeah. understanding that you would be a good person for that role that must be really satisfying yeah. 
Yep, I agree. I thought that was really cool just so early on before the season, before really spring training, everyone really got going that I got that phone call. So that really meant a lot. Right. Well, returning to a more familiar role to you, we have coming up, um, I actually don't know exactly when, that's why I'm asking you, but we have coming up a special on Fox Sports Florida from the Arizona Fall League. Um, that's something our listeners are very familiar with because we go deep into the weeds with Marlins prospects. We've talked about all seven players that were out there. The, um, the strength and conditioning coach that was out there, the manager, we, we'd covered like um, every inch of the fall league and what happened there. As it turns out, you'd covered what turned out to be the championship team. Um, not, not while you yes. were out there, but all right. go team. Out, the salt river rafters, they, just this past Saturday, they sealed the deal and won a championship and had Marlins players right in the middle of that. Um, if I have it right, you were also out there the previous year for the Fall League, so it's not your first yeah. time in Arizona. Mm -hmm. uh, just give us some information about when that special about the Fall League is going to air and anything in particular about these players that you think fans should know about. Well, the Fall League show, our Marlins Prospect uh, show, is going to air on November 7th, so a couple weeks from now. Very excited about it. It is my second time back out to the Arizona Fall League. Um, it's it's really cool. I very much enjoy going out there. I very much enjoy covering prospects and, and, and covering the guys who are next, the next big stars. It's really cool to watch players develop, and it's such a... It's just a crazy time in life, and we're not too far of a not too big of a difference at least right now. It's it's changing um, age wise, so it's it's kind of cool. I'm like, okay, I was just there age wise, and you you think about what you go through just growing up as a human to begin with, and then going through it on that kind of scale and and in that kind of um, you know under that kind of scope in um, professional athletics. I find it just so interesting, and I love getting to know the guys and kind of, you know, figuring out what makes them tick and who they are as a person. And that's what's really cool about these shows is as much as we focus on who they are as baseball players, we like to also touch upon who they are as people and what kind of teammates they are and what kind of, you know, what they like to do outside of baseball as well, which we actually took a couple of the guys indoor skydiving. So that's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> That'll be a lot of fun. We all really enjoyed that. So, yes, that show airs on the 7th. Again, it's really nice to get out there and just see the level of talent that's there and just see these guys grow and get to know get to know a lot of the guys and got a chance to speak with all seven of them. Very good guys. Very good guys. I'm not just talking about on the field. I'm talking about off of it. Respectful, fun to be around, and really cheering for every single one of them. And you handled the weather all right, because one of the significant differences this year is that they moved up the dates of the fall league about a full month where it was starting in <laughs> September this time and into October. So I imagine that um, it, it was so hot early on that I believe they had a policy where they didn't even play afternoon games because they thought it was dangerous for the players. I'm not sure exactly what dates were out there, but it's definitely a different kind of heat than we're used to in Miami. So yeah, that wasn't yeah. too bad for you. No, no. See, of course, I'm going to pull the girl line where I'm like, the dry heat was really good for my hair. So I didn't have any issues <laughs> with the humidity or my makeup. But um, I was actually coming, I came straight from 
from London. I was over on a trip in England and Scotland and Ireland just for fun, a little vacation, and I came straight over. So I was dealing with like the, the high 40s. <laughs> we went straight to the 90s. So like the weather was actually very much, I am a Miami girl. So the weather was very much um, happily accepted to be out in the heat. I was just like, okay, now I could just fall for my two weeks of being cold. So I enjoyed it. It was like probably in like the low 90s when I was there. Well, I'll get you out of here on this. You've been a great guest already. Looking ahead to 2020, <laughs> even though it feels like it's hard to believe it's already 2020 coming up. But what exactly is your schedule going to look like this coming season? Has has any of that been said in terms of how many game broadcasts you're going to be a part of? Uh, the possibility of coming back and doing radio again for some of the regular season games. Uh, I know you've now been on Marlins coverage for a few seasons now. Um, and I actually would love to know exactly how many games you worked last year. Cause it seems like more than in years past, but I, I didn't have an exact number on that. <laughs> what, where can people expect to, well, how much do you know about what that schedule is going to look like for you next season? You know, I, I don't know. I wish I did. <laughs> you know, I, I very much am well organized organizational freak here i love having everything like kind of figured out but the nature of the beast and broadcast in this industry is that things you know kind of taken care of a little closer to the season so the season just ended all that stuff is still in the works um and fox sports florida covers for you know other team well six teams in total but four teams during the off season you know heat magic and lightning and panthers so they're all in the midst of that but uh hopefully we'll have all that figure it out soon and I'll be able to answer that. But yes, this past season, I did a lot more games. I very much enjoyed it. And I hope to do um, just as much or more next season because I really do enjoy being there and being welcomed into everybody's living rooms and homes and uh, just bringing a little more baseball to everyone. In the meantime, we'll have everybody keep tabs on you on social media. <laughs> yeah. At Kelly Sacco on Twitter, at Kelly Sacco underscore sports on Instagram. It, it, and, um, I mean, you put some great shots up on there. I know we mentioned at the beginning of the show the, the makeup that you've learned to do on yourself. <laughs> yeah. we, we can include some examples of that when we post this episode on the website. <laughs> Just so people can understand that side, talent that you have passion. for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> little art, little art on the side. <laughs> yeah. But this this was excellent, Kelly. It was great getting to learn a little bit more about you. And uh, oh, thank you. It, it was this was a great season. Following what you brought to the to the broadcast, you're really comfortable on camera. That's what stuck out to me. And um, obviously, you have a very bright future around the team and the team itself. We like to think it's a very bright future. So it'd be great to, to have <laughs> one of the best in the business covering a team that hopes to be one of the best in its business as these young players break through to the majors. We'll have people watch that fall league special from you coming up November 7th. This was Kelly Sacco from Fox sports, Florida. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. If you get really bored later in the off season, we might bring you back on in the future. <laughs> but uh, this is, yeah, we're so glad to have you on the pod on fish bites. Thank you, Kelly. No, thank you so much. Again, you guys flatter me. It was really my pleasure. Thank you so much.